throughout the history of the church, there's been this tension uh, between how we can best engage with the world. How do we change the world without the world coming along and changing us? And one of the ways that we can do this is we've gotten ourselves in all sorts of trouble trying to be culturally relevant, trying to be hip, trying to be cool. You know, you can imagine those youth leaders, uh, those chaplains dressing up, looking like Hollywood actors, trying to impress everyone. Um, and on the flip side of the coin, um, we can remember our ten- this tendency to withdraw and become insular. And rather than take the gospel to the world, uh, we take the gospel and we withdraw it into our communities and we have no meaningful engagement with the outside world. Um, and we can kind of create these little monastic communities that never interact with the real world. And my time at, at church, um, most Christians kind of define themselves by opposition to one of these. Either they're a hip, trendy, cool Christian Uh, They love being cool, they love being relevant, they love craft beer, they love coffee, they love uh, going out on coffee dates, and they love just being like the rest of the world around them. And they're definitely trendy Christians, they're actually relevant and can reach the world. And then there's the other group of Christians who define themselves by not being worldly, by not being like the rest of the world, by not watching those movies or those TV shows or all that stuff and and withdrawing into those communities. And, And defining yourself against one of those things is really not what we're trying to do. Because uh, we can take pride in the fact that, we're, not, that we're, we're proper Christians, we're not influenced by the world, or we can take pride in the fact that we're culturally savvy and culturally distinct from the world. Uh, but the real question is, is not whether or not you're relevant or whether you're a proper Christian, it's whether you fear God and not man. And both groups can fall into the trap of fearing man and not God. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the city of Sodom and how we must come out of Sodom and not, not must be ruled by its passions and by its desires. Um, but today, we need to learn how to meaningfully engage with the world while not becoming the world. And so my sermon today is titled, A Tale of Two Nations. We're going to be looking at two nations, well, in particular, one nation. And we've got two different pagan nations. And one nation is very different to Sodom. Um, And before we make broad, sweeping judgments of the world around us, we should learn to use wisdom and discernment. So I've got three points for my sermon today. uh, One, culturally destructive traditions. Number two, culturally destructive assumptions. And number three, culturally important principles. So my first point, culturally destructive traditions. We're going to be reading from uh, Genesis 20 verse 1. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Well, Genesis 20 begins with Abraham journeying towards the south, the wastelands of the Negev, uh, and he ends up living in this area of Gerar. He's left Mamre, which he's been for the last 20 years. Remember the Oaks of Mamre where he's been residing. Um, And we don't know why he's moved. Uh, Perhaps he's moving because there's another famine. We're not told in the the passage. Uh, But perhaps, and this is my view, is where he was before at Mamre, he was close enough to the valley of um, the Jordan Valley to see the destruction of the city of Sodom and where his nephew Lot um, according, at least for Abraham, he'd never met Lot again, perhaps perished in that. And so um, 
Abraham picks up his huge tribe. He makes his journey down to the Negev um, and he ends up in the territory of King Abimelech. Now, doing this kind of move, it's not the same thing as selling your house and moving to another city and getting a new job and moving your family. Like sometimes those things can be logistical nightmares, but not the kind of logistical nightmare that a nomadic community like Abraham's people would have been. It was fraught with dangers. With a tribe as big as Abraham's, it's no small task. And imagine for a second, you're the Philistines in Gerar. And all of a sudden, this huge, wealthy group of people want to come in and settle in your area. And you may have heard stories about Abraham. You may have known that he is a fierce warrior and that he, uh, he defeated kings much stronger than him. You don't know who this guy is or what kind of um, problem this is going to cause for your people. And if you don't do anything together, if you don't uh, try to cement some sort of alliance, well, suspicions will set in and it's going to be it's going to end up in some level of conflict. And Abraham is terrified of that because, you know, the city of Gerar is much bigger than him, even though he's quite a large nomadic company. And so in these intense times, what was customary in the ancient Near East was marital alliances. Generally, if you were going to move into an area, you would give one of your daughters to the king to marry, and that would cement a marital alliance, and you, your people would be allied together and fight together and... Um, and, and, and watch each other's back. But Abraham has a problem. He doesn't have a daughter. He doesn't have anyone to marry off. Um, and so in the end, he, he's really got no chance at a marital alliance. And we know that Sarah, um, back in Genesis 12, she is very attractive. Um, her beauty was so impressive that Abraham feared that someone would kill him just to marry his wife and take all the stuff. Um, and so this isn't without precedent. precedent. I mean, this kind of stuff happened all the time. If you had a really attractive wife and there was a more powerful king and he knew that there may not be any repercussions, he might come and kill you and take your wife. So Abraham concocted a plan back in Genesis 12. We remember it. And now it's become a custom for him. It's become a tradition. Whenever he journeys somewhere and anyone ever asks about his wife, he says, she's my sister. Remember, Pharaoh took her in Genesis 12 and God inflicted his household with a plague. But back then, Sarah was young. She was beautiful. She was of childbearing age. But now we're in a different scenario, aren't we? Sarah's 99. She's not young anymore. And, and yes, she would have aged differently to now. Yes, she would have uh, aged very gracefully. She's kind of like a Nicole Kidman without Botox. Uh, but this isn't Really what's going on, because the text never tells us that Abimelech takes Sarah because she's attractive. There's no mention that that's what happens. And Abraham is on the verge of having a son through Sarah. He knows the promises of God. He knows what has happened before and that by this time next year, Sarah is going to have a son. And he comes to Gerar and he thinks to himself, well, you know, just in case, just in case I die here, if anyone asks, I'll just say she's my sister. And someone asked, Abimelech asked, and Abraham, I'm sure, probably didn't think that Abimelech was going to pursue Sarah's hand in marriage. But Abimelech has a dilemma in his hand. He's got this huge group of people moving into his city, and there's no daughter for the great patriarch that rules that people. So the next best thing is the sister. And so someone asks about Sarah, they say, 
back to Abraham's foolish old way. She's my sister. And Abimelech knows, well, if I marry Sarah, we're going to have a firm cemented uh, kind of marital alliance. Now, Abraham is in a worse spot because if he comes clean and he says for the sake of, you know, telling the truth, actually, no, she's my wife. She's not, she's not my sister. Well, he could face the wrath of this pagan king. He could be branded as a liar. He could ruin his reputation. This is a, this is a big deal. And so what is Abraham going to do? I mean, Abimelech doesn't need much justification to go to war and take all of Abraham's stuff. And so Abraham takes the coward's way out. He didn't think it was going to happen, I'm sure. I don't think he thought anyone. He's been traveling a long time. It's only happened once that someone's tried to marry Sarah. And now when she's 99, it happens again. And it's shocking to Abraham. But he hands her over. You see, Abraham had a bad habit. And it came in the form of a custom. And it was something that only bit him on the bum once, but never again since, never again since. And so he started feeling as Sarah got older and older and older that the likelihood of someone marrying her is next to zero. And yet that custom should have died, but he didn't kill it. He didn't kill that custom. Now his wife is old and past childbearing ages. Abraham wasn't worried, but Abimelech was keen. And when our customs and traditions contradict the word of God, contradict the plan of God and what God has said and God has for us, well, we need to change those customs. I mean, it happens to us all the time as Christians. I know heaps of Christians, um, you know, if any of my Sydney boys watching it, sorry boys, but some of you guys dated for too long. Some people dated for two, three years and that becomes fraught with so many issues, so many temptations dating for that long. I mean, if you don't know before two years, well, she's probably not the one, bro. She's not the one to marry. Uh, A culture of infant baptism sometimes has led to some churches thinking their kids are already Christians and they don't disciple their kids and they don't evangelize their kids. They assume the kid's already in the kingdom. Uh, Some Christians watch explicit TV shows as part of their daily routine and then they wonder why they fall into porn addictions. I've seen women constantly commenting on how attractive men are, Christian women, And then they're surprised when their flirting turns into a little bit more. See, these customs and traditions which we rationalize and think, oh, it's never going to go anywhere. It's never going to lead anywhere. It's never going to get us into a a bit of trouble. Well, this is what Abraham thought. But God was going to teach Abraham, well, a humiliating lesson. And so what bad habits or customs do you have that you fall into again and again and again? These bad habits, these bad customs, these bad traditions that... You think, oh, it's not going to affect me anymore. Well, if it's happened before and you've fallen into a bad situation, use it, the opportunity to repent and don't fall into it again. Don't go the way of Abraham here in this passage. If Abraham had just repented the first time, trusted God, anytime anyone asked about Sarah, he said, she is my wife, he would not be in this situation or we would not be reading about it. Leads me to my second point, culturally destructive assumptions. Let's pick up from verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Does, did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. 
In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I do not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things, and the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sins against you, that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? And Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is my kindness that you must do to me at every place to which we must, which we must come. Say of me, he is my brother. Well, remember that God, back in Genesis 12, promised to bless those who bless Abraham and curse those who curse Abraham. And we're seeing this play out. Abimelech, unknowingly, has taken Sarah to be his wife. And this well, this is a curse. He, he unknowingly, ignorantly has cursed Abraham. And so now God is going to bring a curse upon him. And we see it in the form of plagues. Abimelech is now under God's curse. And God comes to Abimelech in a dream. And the first thing God says to him is, Behold, you are a dead man. Now, if I ever heard that in a dream, I'd be running. And before God says anything, he impresses upon Abimelech the seriousness with which God is taking what has happened. God takes adultery very, very seriously. And God is going to bring swift and strong judgment on Abimelech because he has taken another man's wife. And he's terrified and he says, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Fascinating language there. An innocent nation is another way you can translate it. And considering last chapter, we had just seen God bring immense judgment upon a nation. And these two nations are contrasted together. Last week we saw that it was Lot and Abraham contrasted. And now we're going to see with Abimelech that Abimelech and Sodom, Gerar and Sodom, are being contrasted and juxtaposed together. He says it's with integrity I married, I married Sarah. He didn't know he was committing sin and God recognized that. God knew that he did it ignorantly. He didn't know. He didn't know what was going on. He says, I know that you've done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. And God in his sovereignty is showing amazing grace to Gerard. He's showing amazing grace to this nation. And Abimelech has been wronged greatly by Abraham. Abraham has kind of tricked him into committing a terrible sin in marrying someone else. Imagine you married someone and then you found out a bit later that you had actually married someone who was already married to someone else. Matthew Henry notes, he says that God had kept Abimelech from doing the wrong thing. He kept Abraham from suffering wrong and he kept Sarah from both. Now you've got to notice that Abimelech had every right to march over to Abraham's camp after this, arrest Abraham, 
and put Abraham to death. But God put in a little bit of important information in this dream. This man, whose wife you have married, is a prophet. And he is going to pray for you. Don't mess with Abraham. He's telling Abimelech straight up, do not mess with him. Do not do anything with him. He is my prophet. Just give back his wife. And God knew that they didn't realize what they were doing. He overlooks their sin. But now that they know, he tells him, just so you know, if you don't hand her back, you are a dead man. I will bring my judgment upon you. Just as I brought my judgment upon Sodom, who knows how long ago, months ago, even weeks ago, days ago, who knows how long ago that was, but it was fresh in everyone's memory. And Abimelech is terrified. And he comes to swift repentance. He sorts his life out straight away. It says he rises early in the morning and you bet he rose early that morning. He got right out of bed. He was right out there uh, ready to sort this out. He tells all his servants and everyone is afraid. They all fear God. Bimelech fears God greatly as he should and so does his servants. But I'll tell you one person in this story who didn't fear God. Abraham. I mean, what are you doing, Abraham? And people like, he marches straight out to Abraham and he had every right to rouse on him. He had every right to just tear him down. And yet, he's, even though he makes accusations against Abraham, you see the respect with which he addresses him. He says, what have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you? That you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin. You have done to me things that ought not to be done. What did you see? That you did this thing. Bimelech makes no small accusation against Abraham. What did you see? The answer is nothing. Abraham responds by saying, there is no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. This is fascinating. Abraham, in being afraid because the people don't fear God, fails to fear God and fears them instead. And I don't know if Abraham recognizes the irony in his statement. Abimelech is terrified of God. Abimelech's servants are terrified of God. And Abraham, God's prophet, is afraid of them and not afraid of God. We should all take great care about our assumptions because Abraham had made some very wrong assumptions about the nation of Gerar. Unlike Sodom, Abimelech didn't, fact, in fact, fear God. In Sodom, they didn't fear God at all, and they came under God's quick, quick and righteous judgment. But Abimelech and his people quickly recognized God and recognized that they must fear Him. Fascinating. And Abraham makes this big, sweeping assumptions about this kingdom, and he doesn't recognize that he used to be a pagan just like them. When Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldeans, he was a pagan. He didn't believe in God. God came and revealed himself to Abraham. And in the same way, God has revealed himself to Abimelech. How often do we underestimate people? We write people off before we share Jesus with them. We look at them, we take one look and we think that person's not going to want to hear about Jesus. That person's not going to want to talk to us. That person's not going to be interested in a faith conversation. 
But some of the best gospel conversations I've ever had, especially like cold turkey, just right off the street kind of conversations, have been with people that I've assumed wouldn't want to talk and did talk. Been with people that I thought weren't going to be interested and they were interested. I made the same broad assumptions as Abraham. And the thing was, is I feared man and I didn't fear God. I didn't know, I, I, I didn't uh, count on the power of God to change people. I forgot my own story. You know, when, when I had become a Christian, some people had told me after I became a Christian that I was the last person that they thought would ever become a Christian. At my high school, they thought I was the most unlikely of all their friends to become a Christian, and yet I was the one who became a Christian. And they thought that I was going to be super against it. They thought because uh, I'd had some background in philosophy that I was going to run circles around them and they weren't going to be able to answer any of my questions. What they didn't know is that I was soft to hearing about Jesus, that I did want to know if there was a God, that I did care about these things. And they didn't share the gospel with me. I found it a different way. But God powerfully works in people's lives and his sovereignty over everyone is clear. God holds Abimelech and his people back from the sin. He holds them back and he can reveal himself in so many ways. So trust God, fear God, don't fear man. Don't be like Abraham in this passage because he feared those people rather than sharing God with them. Next time you think this person will never want to talk to me, remember this story. Remember how Abraham treats Abimelech because Abimelech was soft to God and responded to God. And you may find yourself being the one who fears other people. Then Abraham goes into his defense a little bit more, a pretty, pretty, bit of a pathetic, weak defense from Abraham. Uh, but there's a bit of an awkward uh, kind of bit of info about Abraham. Sarah, turns out, is actually his half-sister. Now, marrying close relatives wasn't as big of a deal back in Mesopotamia. In fact, back in Mesopotamia, in Ur, where Abraham is from, most people thought it was fine to marry your sister or your brother. Like, that was a really big thing. And... Um, here where we are now in the area of uh, Canaan, well, marrying your sister and your brother is very much frowned upon. It's something that people don't do over here. So Abraham definitely wants to keep this one close to his chest. And it's, a, it's, it's not a detail, you know, Abraham would have been proud to get out there. We feel a little awkward reading it. Uh, but just for the sake of it, in Hebrew, sister, father, they can have a much broader meaning. For instance, um, Lot is Abraham's nephew, but he's also referred to as Abraham's brother. And I don't know if you guys have been around some Aboriginal cultures. Uh, I went and did a mission trip up in Northern Territory, and I was trying to work out who was related to who. And over there, everyone is everyone's cousin. And one person's mum and another person's mum, and I don't know whose mum is who. And Hebrew culture is a little bit like that. They can use words like that. And some have made the case that Sarah is not actually Abraham's sister, but his niece. Maybe Sarah is actually Lot's sister. Now, um, it's possible that that is the case, just based on the, the things. But I don't think it makes it much better if he marries his niece or his sister. I mean, it makes it a little better, I guess. Uh, but regardless, it highlights the fact that God chooses some pretty suspect characters to show his grace to. Abraham, before he knew God, before he was a follower of God, made a foolish decision and married his half-sister. Did that put Abraham outside of God's grace? 
Did that put Abraham outside of God using Abraham for his glory? Of course not. The sins of our former life, although we bear the consequences of those sins, we won't bear the ultimate consequence. And God doesn't reject us if we turn back to him. And we've seen Abraham come a long way, haven't we? We've seen him grow in godliness. He's come a long way since when he was a pagan. He's slowly and steadily growing into godliness and righteousness. And this stupid custom of his to say that she's my sister rather than my wife. Well, it hasn't got him in trouble for a long time, but now it has. And he's being humiliated. He falls back in his old ways. And we should take heed lest we fall into habitual sin. Don't make assumptions about people. Don't fear man. Fear God. Number three, culturally important principles. Let's keep reading verse 14. And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone, you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they also bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Abraham, we can see in this passage, is humiliated. He's forced to accept a gift from Abimelech. Remember with the king of Sodom, he refused the gifts from the king of Sodom. He didn't want anything from him. But now he has to accept those gifts and now he has to pray for Abimelech. Now he has to intercede on behalf of Abimelech. And God has orchestrated the situation so that Abraham had to do what he should have done the whole time. This is what Abraham should have done the whole time. He should have prayed for Abimelech. He should have prayed for these people. He should have prayed that they would come to know the fear of God. And he didn't do that. He was afraid of them. He was running from them. He was telling them lies, trying to get out of consequences for his actions. He's a very human character, isn't he, Abraham? Now, Abimelech wanted to bless Abraham and his family. He wanted to put this whole situation to rest and rest peacefully together. And Abimelech here is the better man. This pagan king who doesn't know God is the better man in this situation pretty easy to see this. And God heals Abimelech in his household. He brought peace and reconciliation between the two. And it shows the different ways that God deals with the nations. He deals with Sodom one way and Abimelech a different way. You can see that God views some nations more favorably than others. And so back to my point at the start. Are you someone who likes to be culturally relevant, to engage with the culture? Because that's Lot. And Lot didn't realize how bad Sodom was. And he loved Sodom because he did not apply the truth of God to the situation. And Abraham, well, he, he feared the people too much, especially in this passage. And when he got to Gerar, he thought Gerar was a lot closer to Sodom than it actually was. And so we need to use our wisdom and our discernment. Are we in Sodom or Gerar? 
Are we in a place that's soft to the gospel? Are we in a place that's hard to the gospel? And we should move and make wise, discerning situations accordingly. Come out of Sodom. Engage with Gerard. This is what we need to be doing. We need to use our wisdom. We need to use our our discernment. We need to know exactly what's going on. And so there are some very culturally important principles that I want you guys to learn from this passage. I'm just going to list a whole bunch of them. First, deal honestly with the surrounding people. Abraham was a prophet. He was carrying the name of God. In fact, God became known as the God of Abraham and later Isaac and Jacob. But he brings disrepute, disgrace upon the name of God because he came in and he lied. And it is a miracle that Abimelech didn't think, if this is the God of Abraham, I want nothing to do with him. If this God is like Abraham, I want nothing to do with him. And how often do we hear people say that? If God is like these Christians over here, well, I don't want anything to do with them. We should be careful that we aren't known as liars and cheats because we don't just represent ourselves but our almighty God. Another important principle, don't judge the surrounding culture too hastily. It might be the case that you live in the middle of Sodom, but it also might be the case that you were camped next to Gerard. So use your discernment and use your wisdom. Because there are definitely elements of Sodom in Australia. But before you throw everyone into that basket, remember that there are cities like Gerard. There are communities like Gerard that are soft to the gospel. Find them, sniff them out, share the word with them, pray for them. People might actually be open to the gospel and you don't know until you speak with them. Lot kept making excuses for Sodom. But Abraham kept judging them too harshly. We've got to take the log out of our own eye before we start taking specks out of those around us. Next one, pray for our culture. Yes, there are some troubling elements to Australian culture. There are troubling elements to what's going around us. But isn't it interesting that Abraham interceded on behalf of Sodom, but he did not intercede on behalf of Gerard. The reason he interceded on behalf of Sodom was because Lot was there. He had a stake in it. Well, now he has a stake in Gerard and he doesn't pray. Abraham shouldn't have had to get out of this humiliating position that he was in. But make sure you pray for our people. You pray for our leaders. You pray for our local communities, especially. Pray for your city. Pray for Singleton or Brankston or Cessnock or Curry. Wherever you are, pray for those places. Pray for the leaders. Pray that people would be soft to the gospel. Make sure that you're engaging with them, that they would act righteously, and most importantly, that they would know the Lord Jesus. Next point, remember where we came from. Remember where we came from. Abraham forgot that he used to be a pagan, just like Abimelech. Abraham forgot that he was in the exact same position as Abimelech, and yet he didn't reach out to him. Abraham forgot that at one stage there was no fear of God before his eyes too. Remember that if it was not for the grace of God, we would be as ignorant as the surrounding nations. We would be living just like everyone else. We wouldn't know God. We'd have no hope in the world. We'd be alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. We wouldn't be descendants by faith of Abraham. 
we would be in so much trouble if not for God's grace. Before God came in, we were blind, we were ignorant, and we were destined for destruction. Before God came in, we deserved the righteous penalty of hell. God could have righteously sent us there. And if you remind yourself of that, you have to remind yourself of that because that's going to stop you from pride. That's going to stop you from falling into situations like Abraham has fell into because humility comes when you view yourself as you ought to. If God had not spoken into your life and God had not come alongside you and given you his Holy Spirit and given you faith and eyes to see and woken you up to the realities of Jesus, you would be just like the rest of this world. So praise God that we are saved by faith alone and grace alone in Jesus Christ. It takes humility to know that without God we will be just as lost. Because without Jesus giving his life for us, none of this is possible. Without Jesus redeeming us and rescuing us, just like God spoke to Abraham and said, go out of your country, just like God spoke to Abimelech in that dream, so also has God powerfully spoken to us through his word, through his son Jesus, who died and was resurrected from the dead. And he died for our sins so that we would never have to bear the penalty of those sins and that we could walk free, walk in free fullness of life, that we would never bear our sins and that we would be we would rise again on the last day and have eternal life. You have to fear God and not man. That's the irony of this story. Abraham feared Abimelech. Abimelech feared God and that put Abraham to shame. Let's learn from his example and cling to the cross of Jesus Christ where all wisdom begins. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Abimelech and for this story and for how, Lord, your word does not sugarcoat the characters that are, are celebrated and that people rejoice in because we know, Lord, that they are human just like us. And Lord, help us to not judge Abraham because if our life was written out in Scripture... Lord, what would it say about us? Would people have the same level of disgust and feelings of awkwardness about our lives? Father, help us be humble and know that we were once pagans walking in the course and pattern of this world and living just as the sons of disobedience and living according to our passions. And yet you called us out of that and gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit and faith and righteousness through the blood of your son, Jesus. And Lord, although we are in lockdown and we don't get to meet together as your church, Lord, I pray that we would yeah, love you all the more, that we would value community all the more. And Lord, would you cause us to be able to meet together soon, very soon. And more important, Lord, would you come soon and would your son Jesus return and bring everything to right. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.